Hello Detroit, hello Pistons fans, this is Joey Gadaris, and this is the, oh wait, I have to change the whole intro. If you've heard any previous show, you know I've been saying, Hoopball, Hoopball Pistons, find me on hoop-ball.com, uh, my Twitter was Hoopball Pistons, that has all changed, very suddenly, very dramatically. No, just kidding. Not dramatic at all. Very much planned. Very much uh, a lot of hard work went into this. Complete rebrand of the HoopBall website. Now called Sports Ethos. So I'm now doing the Sports Ethos Pistons show. Um, my, my Twitter has changed to Sports Ethos Pistons. But everything else is going to be the same uh, for me. Otherwise, you know. Go check out the website. It's going to be expanding into all sports, not just basketball. I think that's probably the, the key change here. Um, but if I'm told a specific thing to tell you in the future, I will tell it to you. But anyway, if you're listening to this show right now, the show hasn't even launched. Uh, this is something I've been meaning to address on the show. If you're listening to this, it's either because I sent you the link and this is pre-show launch and I'm just doing a show and I want you to hear it. Or um, you're listening in the future when the show has launched and this is an episode that is just in the backfill of the feed um, for anyone to listen to. I have, I think this is the sixth show, so I've recorded quite a few. And I think I'm still in the process of figuring out how to do it succinctly, how to have like segments that are consistent, because uh, the goal is to do this three times a week. And so I'm thinking Monday, Wednesday, Friday. No weekends, but just Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And trying to stick to like a 15-minute, 20-minute target. Um, so trying to keep things more succinct. I know I'm talking a lot right now. But again, this is pre-launch. I just want to say this in case you're listening. Um, so that you get a sense of the back, the backstory, the context to how this show was constructed and built. So on today's episode, we're going to talk about the Lakers and the Pistons, LeBron James, smacks beef stew in the face, dirty play, bleeding all over the court, and has to be held back multiple times as he rushes at LeBron. Uh, it was quite the scene at Little Caesars Arena. They stopped the game for like 10 minutes. Um at the end of it, when they finally got Isaiah, you know, heading back towards the locker room, he like takes off down the tunnel and uh, they're worried he's going to come out of the other side of the tunnel. Something you do not see every day on a basketball court, let's say, let's put it that way. And obviously we're in full support of Isaiah. The replay clearly shows a dirty play from, from LeBron, a wind up, a slap. Um, he knows he did it. I mean, he got ejected from this game and he, he walked off without a complaint. So... Um, while it'll get spun a million ways and people will probably blame Isaiah Stewart because of what, what he displayed was so unusual and it was, it was concerning. It was like, Isaiah, if you get to LeBron, if you actually beat up LeBron as justified as it may be, like you're going to get suspended for a long time, you know, like something bad's going to happen here. It just didn't, it wasn't, uh. I wasn't hooting and hollering, you know, for him to go get him. I, I texted my friends, go get him. But, like, seriously, it was like, okay, now stop. <laughs> At some point, though, like, 
the game had to go on, and it did. Uh, the Pistons don't actually pull the victory out, despite uh, having had quite the lead at one point. So we'll get into the game, we'll get into the fight, and I also want this episode to be uh, one that people can come back to in the future, um, and it'll still have some uh, listening value. You know, I've been doing a lot of games recap type of episodes to this point, and we're still pre-launch, right? So it's a little bit like um, psychologically funny to be doing these reaction things and, you know, next day videos um, as if people are listening. But like no one's going to go back and listen to game recaps like a month later, I don't think. So I just want to do a show today that's all about the season at 20% done. We're actually slightly past that point, but 16 games in, and the Pistons are 4-12. and 12. So far, they've been one of the worst offensive teams in the league, um, but they've been above average on defense, and I do want to talk about some team stats and just some overall like team notes where they're at at this point, but also give a shout-out to uh, and, and a sort of a deeper dive into two of the bench players that I think have impressed me in this first 20%, and especially in this last, most recent, like, 5% of the season, like the last four or five games. Uh, those guys would be Frank Jackson and Hamadou Diallo. So I'm going to talk a little bit about those guys and their prospects for, you know, bigger minutes and a bigger role. I think we've just kind of seen it, and now it's all about consistency for them. So I'll talk about them. Uh, we'll, of course, talk about the restoration that's that's going to be a segment that I do normally on like a weekly basis, just talking about basically the starting five and how they're progressing, how they're developing, calling it the restoration. That's what Troy Weaver calls the rebuild. And I really see the starting five, obviously, as the core of the rebuild. They are. So um, we'll sort of end the show on that, I guess, with obviously an extended talk about Cade Cunningham to this point. But all those guys have had some interesting data points, some interesting games, tons of narratives in this early season to get into. But let's start with probably the biggest narrative. And man, like I couldn't I couldn't have gotten a better headline story than the Isaiah Stewart LeBron fight. We'll call it a fight. They didn't obviously throw hands, as we say. But, uh, well, they did throw hands. Let me take that back. It was a fight. And LeBron got a cheap shot in. And that was the only punch thrown. And people are going to blame Isaiah Stewart for this. Because of the optics. And the optics weren't great. But let's set the scene for everybody. I, I described it briefly in the intro. With nine minutes left in the third quarter of last night's game, the Pistons are winning 78-66 against the recent champion Lakers, the big three of LeBron, Anthony Davis, Russell Westbrook, are really struggling against a Pistons team that to this point had really been flying, um, putting up probably their best offensive like team effort of the year, maybe, also against Toronto, they were really good. But um, one of their best team performances of the year against a really you know good good team team that's supposed to be good. 
And LeBron got upset, frustrated. Isaiah and LeBron are next to each other at the foul line, uh, you know, waiting for the foul shot. Isaiah's kind of like boxing out LeBron. And, you know, people don't like that. Isaiah Stewart is a really physical player. He's not committing a foul here. He's got his hands on, you know, LeBron, but that's kind of how guys do it when they're sort of boxing each other out for rebounds on on free throws. LeBron looks over. I mean, in the replay, he looks at him. He takes his hand. He winds it up, and he slaps him across the face. And Isaiah Stewart immediately, you know, doubles over a little bit. And then rises from the sea like Poseidon. And he's chest to chest with LeBron. So it's like, oh no, you know, everyone rushes in. Everyone's trying to separate them. And um, for 10 minutes, Isaiah Stewart is breaking free from Cade. He's breaking free from Casey, from trainers who are holding him back. And is just relentlessly coming at LeBron. Everyone's on the court, obviously. All the players are in the middle trying to break it up. Um, It's a scene you've never seen before in a basketball game. It does remind, of course, people are reminded of Malice at the Palace. Um, But I should say, Isaiah Stewart threw no punches um, and really shouldn't be punished uh, for this. That's That's what Dwayne Casey said after the game. I definitely agree. He was provoked by a guy who gets away with everything, LeBron James. LeBron does get ejected. So does Isaiah, obviously. And from that point forward, the game kind of got away from the Pistons. But really hard to focus after that happens. After, you know, a guy who really embodies Detroit, embodies get the go-to-work Pistons, the bad boys as well. He's He's the modern-day embodiment of Detroit basketball even though he's not our best player. So everyone loves beef. We're all behind him. We hope he can come back from this and he's not suspended uh, or you know punished harshly. But it's great to have this guy on our team, isn't it? Like this guy with such a reputation now. Um, and not just from this game. You know, he was going at Blake Griffin. He's known for going at Blake Griffin. Like you don't step to beef stew. So that's, that's just a really fun storyline. And it's funny how in this young season, only 16 games played, and there's so many storylines packed into each game. We had this huge fight. But then in the same game, Cade Cunningham becomes the eighth youngest player in NBA history to record a triple-double, putting up 13 points, 12 rebounds, 10 assists, and two steals, still shooting the ball poorly. And in fact, this was a regression from recent games um, where he'd actually begun shooting at a, at a decent roughly 50% clip. So uh, it was a little bit hard to watch him struggle on offense. But again, this game, how, how can you not, when you're Cade, um, get thrown off your off your game after this altercation with Isaiah? Um, Cade was holding Beef Stew back the whole time, you know, like tackling him. They were playing football together, you know. <laughs> um, he'll probably never forget that moment as a leader of this team, as a rookie, you know, 16 games into your career. Uh, And you've already had to do that. And so really, it's funny that I decided to do this check-in show at the same time as one of the, probably the biggest story in the entire season. 
um, from a news media standpoint. But let's get into this check-in. The Pistons are 4-12, and 12, as I said. They have the fourth best odds in the lottery. Um, only the Orlando Magic, the New Orleans Pelicans, and the Houston Rockets are worse than the Pistons. The Houston Rockets are on pace to be like the worst team of all time. They're 1-15 and 15 and hopeless. So we're in a much better situation than that. Um, but in terms of narratives, the game, the season did start off with four consecutive losses, four Cade-less games. No Cade. He's out with a right ankle injury that would keep him out until the fifth game of the year when the Pistons pick up their first win of the year against the Orlando Magic. Cade only plays 19 minutes in it, but gave him the energy, made a difference straight away. It was a very exciting moment for Detroit. Um, immediately followed by two blowout losses to the Brooklyn Nets and the Milwaukee Bucks. You know, two teams with championship hopes and world-class superstars uh, overpowering the young Pistons. But then those two games were followed by two more impressive matchups. One again against the Brooklyn Nets and the other against the 76ers. Another superstar-laden team with Joel Embiid, Tobias Harris, and um, yeah, the the Pistons put up good efforts in these losses. It's the first time all season that you know you were seeing uh, Cade like Cook against KD and Harden. You were seeing fight from Isaiah Stewart, mid-range from Isaiah Stewart. Um, the spirit of Detroit basketball was in those games, and and that's when the season really started to get interesting. Because immediately after those two losses, the Pistons picked up their second win of the season against the Houston Rockets. It was the Cade versus Jalen showdown, number one versus number two. Uh, Didn't quite live up to the hype in terms of, if we were to compare this to their matchup in the Summer League, uh, that had a lot more hype and was a lot more of a showdown of individuals. You know, this was a team win for the Pistons, and the Rockets are really bad, and they didn't look good. It It was a pretty sloppy game overall, but... Uh, Pistons get their second win, and then starts the roller coaster uh, all over again of huge blowout losses. Um, oh, I should say in in the Houston game, Kelly Olynyk picks up an MCL sprain that's going to keep him out for six weeks, and so now the Pistons are missing their true center, their tall guy. I should say Isaiah Stewart, still a true center, but. Um, now they're they're really lacking depth and height, and they go up against the Cleveland uh, Cavaliers featuring Jared Allen and Evan Mobley. Even Taco Fall played in this game, seven foot six Taco Fall. So the Cavs know they have the size advantage. They flexed on us in this game. It was really bad. Final score ninety eight seventy eight. One of the worst offensive outings for the team all year. Maybe the worst one really. And then. They followed up with one of their best offensive outings, maybe their best offensive game of the year against the Toronto Raptors, picking up their third win, 127 to 121. Um, it was a, it was one of those games where Killian had a near triple double, 13, 7, and 10. Isaiah Stewart had 20 points, 9 of 11 from the field. And Cade got it done in crunch time and hit some clutch shots for the victory. It really had everything going for it this game. Um, super exciting. And then the roller coaster again. Uh, blowout loss to the Sacramento Kings. Another team that really used their size to beat us. 
um, while we're temporarily undersized. Storyline here was the true breakout game individually for Cade Cunningham. 25-8-8, five threes, just showing us what happens when he hits his threes. Huge stat lines. And it was also the best game of the year individually for Sadiq Bey. 28 points, shot better than 50%, um, just looked like a looked like a baller here. So, so they follow up this blowout loss with their fourth victory of the year against Indiana on last Wednesday, 97-89. And in these past three games, starting with the Indiana game, I think we've really started to see the Pistons put together better, round, more rounded team defensive efforts. And we stopped the Pacers cold in this game um limiting Sabonis and Turner was really important and most recently we lost a close game to the Golden State Warriors 105-102 and of course last night's game 121-116 to the LA Lakers a really tough stretch of the schedule but these last three games I think have shown an important growth from the team and two players in particular that I want to talk about, Frank Jackson and Hamadou Diallo. Let's start with Frank Jackson. And let's take it all the way back. I want to give you the full background on who is Frank Jackson, why is he playing so well in his last three games. Frank Jackson, once upon a time, was the number 13 ranked player out of high school. He went to Duke. He was a one-and-done at Duke, averaging 10 points, 2.5 rebounds, 1.5 assists, and half a steal on 47 from the field, 39 from 3, and 75 from the line. Pretty rounded, but also unspectacular stat line coming out of college. He's drafted 31st overall by the Hornets in 2017, immediately traded to the Pelicans. He misses his first season with an injury that needs surgery. And after his second year, well, okay, then he goes on to play two years in New Orleans, um, after which he's waived. The Pistons signed him to a two-way last year and converted it to a two-year extension, normal contract. So he's a full-fledged part of the team. Last year in 2020-21, with the Pistons, Frank shot 40% from three on nearly four attempts a game, 45 from two. 45, 40, and 81 are actually pretty great shooting splits. And you thought, if he can come back and replicate that, he'll be a very important part of the Pistons. They need a shooter. They need, and really, if he were to fit an archetype, it would be the, quote, just a shooter archetype. To this point in his career, he's offering very little defense, um, but the shooting is interesting. And then in 21-22, he got off to a rough start. So far on the season, he's shooting 41% from the field, 32 from three, and 80 from the line. So he's fine from the line, but those other numbers have dipped. But over the past week, in four games, he's averaging 15 points one and a half rebounds, half an assist, but importantly, 1.3 steals 
and 0.8 blocks with only 0.8 turnovers and 3.3 threes a game. Shooting 100% from the line, 51% from the field, he has a streak now of six consecutive games with two threes. So all of a sudden, we're getting not only three threes a game. So not only is Frank asserting himself as the most consistent three-point shooter on the team, which is the role that's there for him. It's the role that he needs to grow into um, if he's going to stay on this team and if the Pistons are going to win. Like this is, a, this is the guy on the roster who's supposed to do this. And so the just-a-shooter role is there for him. And to be honest, the Pistons could roster a few guys who are like just-a-shooter, and, and that'd be fine. Um, but the thing that is, that's happening that's most interesting are the steals. Um, in his last two games against the Warriors... He had three steals. Last night against the Lakers, he had three blocks. Now, he's never been a blocks guy at all, like at all. So this could be a complete anomaly. It'll never happen again. But the one steal, the over one steal a game is interesting. And to think about, could he average one steal a game? Well, sure he could. I I think so. The Pistons play that style of defense. They hunt steals. Um, they're undersized, especially while they've been missing Kelly Olynyk. That they've really gone to more double teams, um, jumping more passing lanes, just trying to be more aggressive with their hands and less aggressive with size. So um, it's benefiting a lot of different players, and Frank is one of them. So there's no reason to think that. I I think he could average a steal a game, um, which makes him a really interesting player for points, threes, steals, and you know, general momentum swings and microwave offense. Um, so the fit is good. He's looking more athletic nowadays. He's looking more engaged. Um, he needs his flowers for this first 20%. I think he's really um, taking the reins of the just-a-shooter role, and he's bringing a little bit more as well. And that segues me to the next player I want to talk about, a guy who is absolutely not a shooter, but who brings a lot else, and that's Hamadou Diallo in his, also in his fourth season. Hamadou is also of extremely high draft stock out of high school. He was the 10th overall player in his class, the number one shooting guard. This was the 2016 class. Um, and another one and done in college. He went to Kentucky. He averaged 10 points, 3.5 rebounds, 1.2 assists, 0.8 blocks on bad shooting splits of 42, 33, and 61. But again, he was a high, highly touted prospect in part because he's a high-level athlete. So those numbers are fine. They're acceptable, but they're not great. And the shooting is really not great, especially 61% from the line really gives you very little confidence. And 42% from from the field isn't very good when you're a guy with high athleticism who should be getting to the rim. But he gets drafted 45th overall in the 2018 draft. So that's a second-round pick. He's traded twice. He ends up on the Thunder. And in his rookie season, he's most famous for having won the 2019 Slam Dunk Contest. Again, the high athleticism, it's always been what he's known for through high school, through college. And as a rookie in the NBA, despite not being a very good player, um, yeah, he wins the dunk contest. Still famous for this. 
Um, and just a side note that I'm going to come back to in the future, maybe, is that the Pistons also have a guy on their G League roster, Cassius Stanley, who in his rookie season last year participated in the slam dunk contest uh, as a high athleticism recruit. He's, who's been lighting up, you know, hoop mixtape dunk contest type of stuff his entire life. So the Pistons love this type of guy in theory. And when I say the Pistons, I actually just mean Troy Weaver, who is, of course, the person who signed Hamadou for the Thunder in 2019. Uh, so anyway, there's connections that run deep with the Pistons organization and Hamadou Diallo. Um, in his time with the Thunder... First two seasons, not too strong. But in 2020-21, in 32 games and 23 minutes a night, he put up a career-high field goal percentage of 48% to go with 12 points, 5.2 rebounds, 2.5 assists, a steal, and half a block. Still, he's never stopped struggling with his three-point shot and free-throw shooting, career marks of 29% and 62% respectively in those departments, um, but in that string of games in 2020 and 21 for OKC, he showed an all around game. He showed again, that higher field goal percentage is important. He's not a guy who should struggle with low percentage shots around the rim. Um, and his field goal percentage should be more normal. 48% is obviously more normal. Um, in fact, approaching good for a high volume player. But I think that is part of the issue as well. For OKC, another rebuilding team um, who have injury problems, and I think last season they lost Shea Gilgis-Alexander, their star, um, to an injury. And so they were just, you know, ball-handling duties were up for grabs. Like, he had a 10-assist game for OKC in that span. So, you know, really outlier games everywhere. Um and when he came to the Pistons in 2020-21 last year, um, he shot 46% from the field, 39% from three, 62% from the line, 49% from two on six and a half attempts, and had averages of 11 points, five and a half rebounds, 1.2 assists, 0.5 steals, and 0.6 blocks. And yeah, he made impressions. He had big games. He had a 19-10 and 10 game against the Raptors a double-double against the Mavericks, 18-12 and 12, uh, against the Nuggets. And who can forget his 35-point outburst with seven rebounds and a block, four threes on 63% shooting against the Charlotte Hornets. He very much is a guy who can mop up minutes. When your team is bad and you don't care, you know, you just need somebody to attack, Hamadou is a guy you can call in. And watching highlights of him on the team last year, yeah, the team was very deferential. Everybody is passing it around, very much like this year's team. They need somebody to take the ball and drive it and make something happen. This year it's Cade, and forevermore it will be Cade, but last year there was nobody. And so Hamadou did some of that, and on occasion he really popped, and it really he, he has the ability to go off. But this year's Pistons team is not last year's Pistons team. And he cannot play that role anymore. And on this year's Pistons team, he started the season playing a little bit, playing horribly, roughly like 12 minutes a game or so, until a stretch in the middle of the season when he's benched, 
pretty much correlating with the return of Cade. Um, and he's upset about it. He gets called in to play garbage time against Cleveland. He refuses to do it. And it was dramatic. He's basically demanding playing time. But what's he shown us? You know, Because his role, I don't know if the Pistons knew exactly what his role would be. And I don't know if he knew the role he should be playing to get on the court. But since then, he's started to play a little bit. And over his last four games, slowly ramping up to last night's game, where he really kind of took a leap in terms of like fitting this system and finding his role in it. In 21 minutes, Hamadou had 17 points, 6 rebounds, 1 assist, 2 steals and a block, shooting 78% from the field and 2 of 2 from the line. And over his last four games, his field goal percentage has been 78, 60, 175. On low volume until last night when he had high volume. But I think that's just really encouraging. You can easily help his field goal percentage by having him take all his shots at the rim. And so this role of the high athleticism, switchable defender who gets steals and blocks who attacks the rim, who's an, you know basically a non-shooter, it, it's there for him. It would be a low-usage role, and that would be a change for what he's used to and probably how he thinks of himself. But you'd have to think that a guy like this could feel good about playing a role well. Um, there's a lot of teams that have a heliocentric playmaker, that have a Cade-type player. And they also have a low-usage starter who's like a fixture of that starting lineup. I'm thinking of like Luka has Dorian Finney-Smith. LeBron has like everyone on that team. The Lakers are, 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 ta- are just full of Hamadous. But it works if you play your role. And I feel like the Pistons are starting to figure out how their role players should fit at the same time as Cade grows into his role as the high usage everything leader of this team so i'm I'm just shouting out frank jackson hamadou diallo giving you their backstory a little bit and let's see if this can continue because now i can picture okay they're six and seven in the rotation they're coming into the game first maybe Corey joseph is always there (laughs) he's just always there but in terms of guys who could be a part of the rebuild. Corey Joseph is straight out. He's not a part of the rebuild. Frank and Hami are uh, are making things interesting. And now, <clears throat> to end the show, I'm going to just do four or five minutes about where the restoration, the starting five players are, trending at this point in the season. They're obviously fixtures of the team. Part of the reason why I focus on the starting five as an entity is I think they're they're basically unquestioned and untouched this year in terms of the pecking order and in terms of the excitement level for fans with any given lineup. There's a clear, exciting lineup, and it is Cade Cunningham, Killian Hayes, Sadiq Bay, Isaiah Stewart, Jeremy Grant. So let's start with Jeremy Grant. In his seventh NBA season out of Syracuse, Jeremy Grant is averaging 19 points, shooting 40% from the field, 33% from three, and 79% from the line, four and a half rebounds, two and a half assists, one and a half 
well, 1.2 steals and 1.1 blocks per game. The points are a little down from last year, as well as the percentages, but otherwise he's become a more productive defensive player, I would say, as the team's focus shifts more and more to be defense. The issue with Jeremy has been the inconsistencies. He'll have huge games where he's clearly the number one offensive option, like last night against the Lakers when he had 36 points, five threes. He hit four threes in about two minutes, maybe even less than that. Um, I'm sure somebody has the exact time out there, but he was raining threes in this game, and still he only shoots 48% from the field. The field goal percentage is going to continue to be an issue, and I really think it's part of why he's not truly the number one offensive option on the team, and games like this are more of an anomaly than a, than a consistent, uh, predictable trend. He'll often follow up huge games with real duds. Um, there was a game where he made no shots from the field uh, in this season, for example. So, Jeremy... I love that he's bringing more defense this year. I love how he fits on the team, and especially as we lack depth in our front court, he's providing valuable reinforcements down low. He's a great defender, and he can be a good offensive option. I really, uh, We're really on Jeremy trade watch. I hate to say it because I love the guy, but his value is going up, and this is maybe the year to see what you can get for him. All right, the next player I want to talk about is Sadiq Bey, who I think people... So so Jeremy, seven-year seven in the league. Um, what is he? He's 27 years old. So if there's any player on the starting five that's not a part of the five-year picture, it's Jeremy Grant. So now we're getting into the core of the restoration, and we're going to talk about Sadiq Bey, who is another fan favorite. Uh, last year, he was a first-round pick, the 19th pick by the Pistons, and he was named first-team all-rookie. He broke records for three-point shooting for rookies, and certainly there were a lot of reasons to be excited. His averages last year, 40% from the f- field, 38% from three, and 84% from the line. Love those shooting percentages. They've dipped a little bit this year. 37% from the field. 42% from two is really low. 30% from three really low. And 75% from the line. But his counting stats have gone up. From 12 to 13.5 points. From 4.5 rebounds to 6.5 rebounds. From 1.4 assists to 2.8 assists. So he's doubled his assist rate. Steals are now over 1. 1.1 steals a game. So the counting stats are getting better. More rounded. The steals always had to come for Jer- I mean, sorry, for Sadiq. And as a team, the, the Pistons are getting steals uh, at a high rate. So from the counting stat perspective, he's doing well. From the percentage perspective, he's taking a step back. Obviously, he has all year to figure it out. You would expect the threes to go in at a better rate. But I do think that his form doesn't look pretty. I might be you know, known as a, a Sadiq pessimist um, because I, I do have concerns about him. 
But I think it's okay to have concerns about guys in this core, especially when they play a vulnerable position, small forward, and a position that Cade, because of his role and importance on the team, uh, Cade makes that position very interesting and flexible. You can fill the three with a lot of different players because you can play Cade at the three on defense. So Sadiq, I think he's a little bit on the hot seat, but um, like I said, he had a breakout game recently against the Kings in a game that Pistons get blown out. 28 points, four rebounds, three assists, and two steals. So he's kind of like Jeremy. He has the ability to have a big game and shoot the ball well, but the consistency has been really poor, and the field goal percentage is my number one concern with Sadiq Bey. So now... Isaiah Stewart. I'm putting him sort of... This is kind of roughly in order of how important I think players are to the team, like in reverse order. So Isaiah, I think, is probably the third most important player in the core. And in part because he's only 20 years old. Sadiq's 22. Jeremy's 27. Isaiah, only 20. He comes, of course, from high draft stock as well, having been the number two player in the high school class. You know, this is a trend we've seen recently where a really highly touted high school prospect goes and has like a middling sort of one-and-done year in college and their draft stock falls. But um, I do think Stewart has proven some haters wrong, right? He's he's seen as a traditional center with no shooting ability and can't stretch the floor, and so that makes him, you know, a dinosaur. But he's shown that with really high energy – physical play, um, great rebounding instincts, good shot blocking instincts. He can be a difference maker. And in theory, he's a pretty good offensive partner for Cade Cunningham, good role man, rim runner. And the mid the mid-range game has come along a little bit. We've seen it in flashes, but again, no consistency. This is a theme for the Pistons. They're very inconsistent. But the fact is the Pistons don't have another player like this on the roster. If he could stay on the court, we would have a better sense of where he is developmentally. But that's very much been his story for the early season. He can't stay on the court. Foul trouble. It could be because the refs don't like his style of play. I think that's a big part of it. He plays more physical than you're used to. He'll rough up Blake Griffin. He'll go at LeBron James. Um... From a fan perspective, he could be the number two most favorite player on the team. So Isaiah Stewart, he just needs to stay on the court for us to get a better assessment of where he's at, but hugely important front court prospect for this team. It's a similar story for the Pistons' second most important prospect and second best backcourt prospect, Killian Hayes, last year's number seven overall pick, the highest ever drafted French player. Killian Hayes, also 20 years old. I think Cade is actually the youngest. Cade's the youngest. Killian's the second youngest. Isaiah Stewart's the youngest, uh, third youngest. But they're all 20. And Killian's also had the issue where he can't stay on the court. Unlike Isaiah Stewart, typically it's not because of foul trouble, although that has happened on occasion. As Killian is known as a really high-intensity defender, elite on-ball defender, has a habit on occasion of picking up ticky-tack fouls that way. But for the most part, his issue has come on the injury end. We know that in his rookie season, he missed four months. 
uh, with a lower body in- injury. And this year, he's started to miss games from a thumb injury on his shooting hand. He's tried to play through it. And it's really a shame because he picked it up at the same time as he started to break out. And his real breakout game was against the Raptors when, in 31 minutes, he scored 13 points, 7 rebounds, 10 assists, 3 threes on 57% shooting, 100% from the line. And he looked really involved. He looked really aggressive. He attacked the hoop. It's his season-high scoring total, 13 points, which is not very high, but you have to like the threes. He had a streak at this point going of five games with a made three, and over that span, he was averaging over two threes a game. So you really started to see the role that Killian can play. Knock down catch-and-shoot threes, get rebounds, If he's attacking the rim, he can really facilitate the offense. Things really open up for him. And just like Cade, the assist totals go up when his teammates are playing well because sometimes they play so historically bad. They shoot so poorly that there's just no real opportunities for for, made shots and assists. The game before his breakout game, he had six steals. So on back-to-back nights, he had two, two of the best games of his career. Um, and then his minutes have, go- have gone down because he has this thumb injury, can't quite get over. Um, so he missed the Lakers game. Maybe that gives him enough time to fully recover and come back thriving. But the steals have been huge. They're up this year, 1.6 on average. He averaged one steal last game, sorry, last season. The assists are slightly down, but like I say, the team is shooting so incredibly poorly that... Um, that has a really big impact on the assist totals for everyone else. And the positive indicators are Killian shooting 39% from three, making a three per game, and 90% from the line. I do think there's a good shooter in there. Um, His footwork is like the main area where he throws himself off shooting the ball. He looks a little bit more set, a little bit more solid with his form this year. So here's to hoping that the, the shooting can stick for Killian and that the steals remain elite. So just to plug in, if I haven't already said this, the Pistons as a team are shooting 41% from the field. As a team, that's really, really terrible. 30% from three. Terrible. 77% from the line is not particularly good. So, if there's any one headline you could put on the beginning of this season, it's that the Pistons are shooting so horribly that they take themselves out of most games but the guy who just like Killian can benefit from those shots going in and will see his assist totals rise and rise and he's the crown jewel of the team it's Cade Cunningham coming in as the easy most important player on the team and in the first 20% of the season he's emerged as a franchise player as a top 10 dynasty kind of guy in fantasy as exactly the guy that the Pistons drafted. It took a few games for the shooting to come around. It took a few games for him to fit into his role. But I would say the Pistons are doing a great job of bringing him along at this point, giving him different types of fits in the the offense, being really dominant, putting him in clutch situations, telling him to go make a play. And he's rising to the occasion. He's been so impressive. He's rising the Kia rookie ladder 
the official league ranking of rookies. And I think by the season's end, and I, actually not by season's end, by next week, he should be the front runner for rookie of the year. Some highlights from his early season include uh, picking up a triple-double last night against the Lakers. He's the youngest Piston ever to record a triple-double, the eighth youngest uh, NBA player of all time to record a triple-double. And this was only two games after his real breakout game where he scored 25 points, eight rebounds, eight assists, and two steals against the Kings with five threes. I've already said it in the show, but his huge stat lines just correlate with three-point shots going in. That's where he's tanking his field goal percentage, taking tons of threes a game, but they're not going in. Um, Otherwise, though, stuffing the stat sheet, over the last week, his stat lines are uh, across four games, he's averaging 18 points, 8.5 rebounds, 7.5 assists, 2.5 steals with two threes, two and a half threes, sorry, 87% from the line and 40% from the field. So the only thing that's not really happening is field goal percentage. Everything else is an elite uh, prospect. And yeah, man, Troy Weaver totally nailed this pick. This is the guy. This, you know, sets the clock ticking on the restoration. We have our man. So 20% of the way through the season, we're feeling really optimistic. We're going to see this team lose games. We're going to see them lose heartbreakers. But it's all about development. We have all types of patience for all these guys, really. You know, I'll do deep dives into Saban Lee, Isaiah Livers, two guys that I think are really knocking on the door of the squad. Chris Smith is an interesting one. But until next time, and until the show launches, I'll see you around.